Right, so um, I'm going to start my presentation uh, by reading out um, something written by Sonia Chura, one of the activists uh, that I am um, um, in touch with within my research, and then I carry on. So this was written in March, uh, published in March 3rd uh, this year, and uh, uh, it's called Why the Cleaners Bang on Drums. On Tuesday, 5th of February, a group of over 60 of my co-workers, campaign supporters and trade unionists gathered for a peaceful demonstration in the car park of Senate House. We demanded that the outsourced workers at the University of London be entitled to the same sick pay, holiday and pension policies as our colleagues who work directly to the university. We were not there merely for the sake of protesting, but rather because these three things, tres cosas, as we call our campaign, have a real impact on the lives of hundreds of workers at the University of London. I myself am a cleaner at Hughes Parry Hall. I clean floors 10 and 11, but over the holiday period, I came down with a virus that has been going around. I had high fever, um, upset stomach, vomiting, aching bones and muscles, and fatigue. The virus lasted for about two weeks, and the only thing the GP could advise was to take it easy and wait it out. And the virus needed to run its course. The problem was that I could not take it easy because I had to work. When we cleaners, security, and catering staff get sick and miss work, we are not entitled to our salaries as our colleagues who work directly for the University of London. In fact, the first three days we are absent, even with the doctor's note, we don't get paid at all. After that, we get a lousy £85 per week paid by the government. Considering that none of us can pay a rent and buy groceries with this amount, we are constrained to coming to work sick. We were beating on the drums at the protest because we don't think that this is right and there has been too many instances of injustice. For example, a colleague had her appendix removed and had to come back to work before she had properly recovered, while another colleague fractured her pelvis and had to use her holidays in order to take time off to get well. Also, another co-worker injured her knee to the point where it became swollen and she now walks with a limp, yet is still on her hands and knees every day cleaning. We were beating on the drums for, for the security guard who comes into work with the flu since he can't afford to sacrifice 12 hours of pay, and for the cleaner who couldn't make it through the bus ride from one cleaning job to the next without having to get off to vomit, yet nonetheless showed up for work. And lastly, for the porter who was out of work with an injury for five months and had to support his family without a salary. We were beating on the drums at the protest because the University of London had 208,331,000 libras in reserves and endowments in 2012. We were banging on the drums because every human being reaches retirement age and many of us outsourced workers do not have a decent pension. While many of our colleagues who work directly for the University of London are entitled to a 13% contribution to their pension from the university, we are offered a humiliating 1% contribution which hardly makes the scheme worthwhile. I have been working for a year and four months as a cleaner at the university and I feel I have wasted 16 paychecks which, which could have gone towards pensions contributions. Some of my older colleagues are nearly ready to retire yet have no plan for what will happen when they do. Some of them have worked at the University of London for years. This notion that the outsourced workers should be treated as separate from and unequal to the rest of university staff is so ingrained in us that even permeates the culture of our trade union, Unison. 
the main motivating factor that is driving my participation in Tres Cosas campaign is also driving my candidacy for vice chair of the University of London Unison branch, a strong desire for equality and fairness. I'm running for vice chair not only to make Unison a cleaner's union, but to make it a union for everyone. I appeal to your support in these endeavors on the premises that we all can and should play our part in making the University of London a better place to live, work and study. We bang on the drums not because we want pity, but because we want justice. So in this presentation, I'll first situate the context of my research, this rationale, aims and objectives. Then I will look more closely into some of the key concepts uh, that I've been using, subjectivities, houses, agency. I'll try to illustrate how do I see those working alongside my findings, preliminary findings. And finally, I will discuss uh, the theoretical and epistemological relevance of the notion of subjectivities for the migration field. Um, by focusing on this um, campaign for this particular um, presentation uh, in the Senate House, University of London, um, I see this as a, a, a case study of personal and collective mobilization of Latin American migrants. Um, I will try to present a self-reflective account of the linkages between the notions of agency and political subjectivities and how they speak to social movements and migration system theories. Um, this presentation relates to my doctoral research, which is about understanding the subjective lives of uh, Latin American migrant activists in contemporary London. I'm trying to compare um, the processes through which these migrants become engaged in political activism in order to understand uh, why and how they mobilize. I'm looking at the experiences of migrants involved in movements seeking social justice through workers' organization. Um, this is a study grounded in my own engagement as an activist in the City of London for the last three years or more, maybe, and it's exploring how alternative forms of knowledge can be created through a focus on the researcher and the research participant's subjectivities. Um, my aim is to understand how the activists build their subjectivity in relation to their own current positions, material and symbolic, their past experiences, and how they articulate their relationship between these. Um, and in the second year of my research and halfway through the fieldwork, so these are very much preliminary observations rather than full-blown um, outcomes of the research. So the, cities, the, the research is located in the city of London, and um, obviously this comes with, with a lot of considerations as well because it's a city where global economic forces have really sort of put a, a context of, of increasing exploitation and marginalization of certain kinds of people, uh, and, and, um, and migrant labor plays a huge part of, of that landscape. Um, there's something like logics of expulsion, and... Um, you know, headlines, one in every 15 human beings is a migrant worker, a refugee, or an asylum seeker. Some 150 million people live temporarily or permanently outside their countries of origin. 12 million are refugees, 20 million are internally displaced persons. So what does that tell us about the current world system that is based and, and it's uh, premised in accumulation by displacement? A logic that enriches some while impoverishes the majority. Uh, this is what happens with the migrant workers that I'm working with. And this is why in my research, I will generally seek to contextualize the logics of expulsion and, ex and exclusion at play for Latin Americans in contemporary global economy, the structural problems behind the significant levels of inequality in the continent, and the coping strategies for Latin Americans in the face of hardship in connection to their political mobilization as migrants in the host societies. Uh, my focus is on their citizenship practices in, 
in their societies, host societies, in this case London in the UK. Um, uh, and I'm not sort of quite focusing so much in the home politics or how they do home politics abroad. But, um, however, um, I will have to reflect, as is emerging from my data, um, uh, how the processes of hemispheric integration in Latin America is somewhat uh, transforming the ways in which they see themselves and they build their subjectivities. But that wasn't initially something I was, I was going to look at in my research. Um, and this is particularly interesting in the case of trade unions, how they conceive and relate themselves to trade unions in the, in the UK. So what are, the, what are people doing about these logics of expulsion? There are logics of resistance. And, um, and uh, I, I would argue they are pioneers, yes, but somewhat forced pioneers in many instances. Um, um, According to uh, people like Neocosmos, uh, in thinking um, a politics of emancipation in which people themselves are the agents of their transformation, we cannot begin um, by thinking of such subjectivity from social location or place, but only from resistance to location or subversion of place. Um, if one begins from place or location, people's voices, their subjectivities are you know, become naturalized, homogenized, and, and, and this doesn't mean that obviously places of no concern, but, um, but I would say that uh, only from the subjective subversion of place, from a position outside place, uh, is possible to question that place. So, so, so and, and that's sort of my, my, my object of, uh, of thought, or my original um, interest of why I call it logics of resistance. So when the oppressed refuse and resist oppression, they place themselves beyond the place of oppression, both subjectively and politically and even physically. Um, by doing so, they make that oppression visible and force a rethinking of conceptual categories. This is why the study of activism among migrants disturbs, and rightly so, traditional understandings of migration systems. Um, but apart from that, I, the, my research, I, I see it as timely um, because class-based mobilization amongst migrants is an understudied topic, or at least one that has somewhat been sidelined in the literature. Uh, on the one hand, we have a migration field focused lar largely when it comes to political mobilization on ethnicity alone, hence adopting monocausal approaches when studying migrants' mobilization. And then on the other hand, um, seeing uh, social movements theory reducing matters to either an examination of political opportunity structures alone, usually, or by clinging to the cultural turn in the study of mobilization. That's classically when scholars focus on identity-based organizing, forgetting class identity, or, or just putting it on the side without trying to bridge the two. Bridge the two. And perhaps the most important reasonable, I see this as a relevant um, study, is that all these types of mobilization are happening. Migrants are leading a new and complicated forms of political incorporation and social change. This is in sharp contrast with the predominantly negative light through which migrants are regularly portrayed in the media. So in other words, activist migrants are neocolonial subjects, to use the language of neocosmos, who are often forced pioneers, who far from being passive recipients of policy, are actively articulating new and transformative modes of citizenship and civil society participation. 
a close examination of how they leave their agency or rather how they develop themselves into agents of change for themselves and others could therefore give us some clues about certain emerging uh, elements in current south-north migration movements. In other words, in the current fragmented world we live in, uh, we have states of being, both states of being, people, and nation-states, both origin and recipient, um, as a made and unmade, in a way, to use the language uh, uh, um, of Tyler, through abjection, meaning to, uh, through a paradoxical, inclusive, exclusive logic of human and political life. So being new colonial subjects means, uh, what does that mean? It means that we are the result of a history tainted by political, economic, social, and cultural invasion and appropriation. This is relevant because ethnicity and kinship are important drivers of political mobilization, I've found, uh, because the structural conditions of a new colonial world also have repercussions in the individual's construction of, of their sense of self. Because also epistemologically and ethically, sociology should be decolonized, I would argue, making the floor, um, uh, meaning that the floor should be uh, open to non-Eurocentric perspectives and modes of knowledge. So in a context of very reduced political opportunity structures, activism, union activism becomes at the same time a catalyzer and a driver of political participation, engagement and insertion. This reinstates migrants' agency uh, in, into the equation. Um, so uh, just, just a brief, brief overview of reasons why um, uh, uh, the field of migration has considered migrants as, as objects rather than subjects of politics. Um, I would argue first ideologically um, there's, there's this methodological nationalism uh, which means as, as you Obvious, I'm sure you know, grounding social theory exclusively from the standpoint of nation states, uh, either in the sending or the receiving end. So, but sociology as a discipline was born alongside nation states, and as such, understanding of what society means is too often equated to an understanding of the processes and systems in place X or Y. Contemporary debates about transnationalism uh, put a, you know, try to move that forward. Um, however, that's still there, in my view, anyway. Um, the second reason, I think, is an influence from the structuralist and Marxist paradigms uh, that put too much emphasis in the structures uh, conceived as external or objectified. Um, um, but for migrants, uh, very few, if any, citizenship, uh, citizenship rights are afforded. Um, and uh, and this, is, uh, this is what comes into the equation as something very... Um, a very unsettling for the internal experience and the external negotiation that they have to make. So just a brief, really brief overview um, and a methodological footnote I hear. Um, uh, as I hinted out in the introduction, I'm, I wear two hats here. Uh, one, of course, is a researcher, but I am myself an activist, and I, it was from that place when that research was conceived. Um, I came into union activism in a roundabout way as a student, a migrant worker. There wasn't really many opportunities or time to get involved, but um, I came from a place where um, I was trying to also come to terms with my own migration process, so that's, that's where my interests come from. Um, but I think I would argue that that puts uh, in the table uh, different kinds of knowledge and, and experiences that are also important to, to, to explore. 
So I should start by saying that my interest in the subjective experiences is not detached from the sociological, and I take Bourdieu's uh, concept um, of habitus uh, um, and a relational conception of social life. So, um, so basically what I try to do is to identify how they make sense of their own positions, material and symbolic, and how they articulate those experiences and they construct their lived world, and that's the notion of habitus and uh, objective positions or institutional field. Um, so that's why uh, subjectivity, I, I consider it to be a legitimate and crucial source of sociological um, inquiry. That was my first point. Um, the second point I want to is about human agency that's not on cost or predictable. Um, and I think... Uh, uh, Basically, what I try to do, uh, uh, the reason why I focus on subjectivity is because I understand it as the intimate and collective processes through which individuals develop their will to act, to recognize themselves as actors, and to change themselves and the world around them. This is a rework of Turain's depiction of the subject. So I know subjectivity has been dominated, the theories of subjectivity, um, um, around theories of the self that interrogate cultural representations and performances. Um, those theories are useful, but uh, usually leave the intimate experiences to the individual unanalyzed, or they turn in the, to, to the unconscious, which is sort of put as a black box that does, doesn't get really analyzed, or as it gets analyzed in psychoanalytical terms. So because I try to merge the sociological and the... And the um, and the, and the psychoanalysis, I, I try to sort of take a sociological definition rather than a merely sociological one. So the other message I want to make, uh, I want to try to, to, to bring to you, is that the implications of assuming this methodological strategy um, uh, is that a shift needs to be made inwards and outwards to look at how subjectivities are created, shaped, transformed, contested from a framework that disrupts disciplinary divides to engage the psychosocial, social, historical, and sociological into, into the same uh, pot, as it were. Uh, it means making serious qualitative turn that doesn't try to reconstruct a unitary subject or narrative and rather acknowledges the contested, contradictory and even disintegrated nat nature of the neocolonial subject. This involves moving on from the comforting fantasy of systemic order because it very often hides the structures of domination underneath it. And secondly, it means moving on from the methodological <coughs> nationalism bias that is behind that fantasy. So, very rough, quickly rough uh, findings. Um, um, I've, I've observed through my, through my uh, you know, participant observation and some interviews, um, th this uh, constant concept comes up about the common, you know, the common, uh, the community, the common good. And what do I mean by that? In the narratives I've been collecting, it appears there's an essentializing notion of the community, somewhat. Uh, one in which unity or assimilation seems to be an ultimate value in itself. Um, uh, Neocosmos calls this the communities of destiny, um, but I prefer to call it communities of care. Um, and I've seen sort of three um, sort of you know dimensions or variables there: voluntarism, what I call voluntarism, which is um, uh, having a, thank you. A, having this idea that uh, we are uh, good and we need, to, we need to do everything because we're good and, and there's all this um, notion of um, self-interest is not in the equation when we mobilize and when we participate. 
um, disciplined reflexivity, or so the ability to sort of reflect over mistakes, especially in groups, dynamics, and movements, and and passion and drive. So the importance that they see um, to be in, almost in love with what they're doing. So so this is uh, this is really um, this concept of, of of attachment to the cause is something consistent in the in the in in the narratives that I've that I've been looking at. Um, some of them were quite explicit about it. Others, however, said also, you know, really also see, see the flip, flip side of, of, of this. Ultimately, uh, all, all seems to indicate that love is not uh, spontaneous or passive, um, but does part, form part of the subjectivation process. Um, it's susceptible to corruption, it's, it's ambivalent, and t- taking heart and angry, um, uh, there's, there's something about corruption of love and the identitarian love that they express. Um, in other words, the love of the same. So a key challenge that comes to that is that uh, precarity without avenues to reflection and political formation can lead to dependency within, I'm talking about dynamics within the groups that, that, that I've been working with, that sometimes you know, the ones that know more than others sort of become sort of the leaders and, and, uh, uh, and others get uh, uh, somewhat could ar- arguably could be sort of passive. So there's this the, the variables inside their own dynamics of, of work and how they're constructed, their, their subjectivities that's quite interesting to observe. Um, but uh, what I want to rescue here, just to finish, because I know we're, uh, I'm kind of running out of time. I had some quotes there about uh, what I was talking about. But uh, I want to go and, and say something about what I think of the contributions to the migration debate. So um, I think this kind of uh, in-depth ethnographic approach, as well as the conceptual framework proposed, gives a fi- full picture of the neoliberal condition of the current world system and unveils and problematizes the implications of that for the, for the subject, for the people. And this also means that uh, some the, uh, contradictory conditions under uh, which state borders are at the same time closed up in themselves to the foreigner and wide open for the penetration of markets. And this is a whole inequality and in how the, it reflects in the, in, the, in the composition of the labor market in a city like London and, and, and in any city in Europe is a clear proof of that and how the, yet subjects are welcomed, really welcome to work. However, um, Welcome in, in nuanced ways is welcome, but at the same time we don't give you rights because you know that's that's upsetting for for our system. Um, so yet there is there is there is a reclaimage uh, reclaiming the migrants are reclaiming their agency and their strategic users of of the opportunities available. But they are not only producers of uh, um, they are not only users of opportunities, but also producers. They produce themselves new opportunities to participate uh, in the ways that they that they construct uh, opportunities to to be in the trade unions, etc. I think I need to finish. So, well, yeah. So I I'll, I welcome any comments and feedback about the concepts. I wanted to sort of try to combine them with the with the topics of the of the. Of the of the conference, so yeah, uh, these were my conclusions. Um, but yeah, thank you. <laughs>